Well, if you have a Bible, go and grab it and turn to Peter Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair or a pew back in front of you. Romans is two-thirds of the way through the Bible. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And you're looking for the big number 12 and the small number 14. And we're going to be in verses 14 to 21 today uh, as, as, again, as we just celebrate God's faithfulness over the last 10 years. In God's timing, he, he brought us to this passage that I hope is a reflection of what we've been trusting God to do over the last 10 years and what I hope to be a reflection of what we're trusting God for as we continue on in the future. So our journey here in Sunbury did not begin 10 years ago. actually began eight years ago. It was a sunny day in July, and my wife and I had uh, packed up our car. We'd actually packed up a, a moving truck that was going to move our stuff from Dallas, Texas to Sunbury, Pennsylvania. And they packed it up and said, we'll be there in three weeks. We knew it wasn't going to take us three weeks, so we gathered what we could and stuffed in the car and let the moving company take care of the rest. And after four days, we, it was mid-afternoon, we drove into Sunbury into our new half double that we were renting as you typically do you go in with much excitement right you open the door this is our new home so we unpack and we bring everything upstairs and, and we go and run a couple of errands and, and come home and, and it's about dinner time and we're ready to just kind of wind down so we call a couple of people from the church here that we knew and and we go over to panera for dinner and partway through, it starts raining. Welcome to Pennsylvania, right? One second it's sunny, and the next second it's raining. So we thought nothing of it, and we're driving back to our apartment or our half double, and we open the door, and as soon as we open the door, there's water all over the floor. Now I don't know how your mind works. My mind immediately thought, whoa, it's raining, we've got a leak, like how's this gonna work? And I was running with that thought for about 15 to 20 seconds, and then I realized, uh, our half double has two floors. There's, like, it's gotta be pretty amazing to get rainwater all across our living room floor on the first floor. So certainly, we've got a bigger problem. So in my amazing skills that I have very little of, I began to walk around the half double trying to figure out why is there water on our first floor? And as I'm searching through the living room and dining room, in that moment I start to hear a wobble, and my wife starts screaming because apparently the toilet in our half double is the lowest part in the entire building, and at that moment everything started gushing out like a fountain in our first floor bathroom. So we called, uh, we called the landlord, we called the maintenance person, and after some digging, like literally in the backyard, digging up, he discovered that the drain line, the sewer line, not like, it'd be nice if it was just the faucet line, but the sewer line had actually clogged so bad that anytime the toilet was flushed, all of that would hit the clog and then bounce back and come into our apartment. Now imagine that 
Kind of disgusting, isn't it? You know, I think that's a picture of what happens in our life when we've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we've come to believe in Jesus, and yet we just leave it there. We know what Jesus has done for us. We hear the grace that he's given to us. But instead of allowing it to flow through us, we just kind of hoard it and keep it to ourselves. And the only thing that happens is that our hearts get clogged up. And the only thing that comes out is the credit of our hearts rather than the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, church, if we're not careful, we can be just like that clogged pipe in our backyard. And when it works well, the grace of God can flow through us, but when it's flawed, the only thing coming back out is crud upon everybody else. And this morning, what Paul's going to challenge us with is that we must be a people who are not hoarding, who are not clinging so tightly that we're unable to give the grace of God to other people. That's the reason why Summary City Church was started, so that we wouldn't just keep and have our little holy huddle with the grace of God, but rather be so transformed and extended out to others. And that's what Paul's going to challenge us with. And he's going to challenge us not by just calling us to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but actually being good news people in the face of controversy, in the face of persecution, in the face of difficulty. And so this morning, the point that Paul is going to get at is this. That God's blessing must flow through us to our community. And might I say, if God's blessing does not flow through us, we have not understood God's blessing in us. So God's blessing must flow through us to our community. And with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And as we do, would you stand with me as we read God's word. We stand in honor of the fact that the holy God of the universe is speaking to us in this moment. Romans 12, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So as we have done week after week, we are in the book of Romans to understand who God is and understand this grace of Jesus Christ. And today, Paul's going to use that grace as a launching pad in the way in which we should bless 
others and be gracious to others. And so to see that, Paul's going to show us one foundational truth that we have to remember, and then three ways that truth should play out in our lives. So let's go ahead and look at this. The foundational truth is this, that is God's glorious blessing. God's glorious blessing. We've got to remember that for the first century church, when they received this letter, they didn't have chapter titles, chapter numbers, verse numbers. They would have sat through the whole reading of this book, of this letter. And so when they get to chapter 12, they would have remembered the first 11 chapters. They would have remembered the grace of God. They would have remembered the good news that Jesus came to rescue and to save sinners like you and I. That whether you have grown up in the church or you've never been in the church before, they, the good news is that Jesus Christ saves, rescues, and gives eternal life. The, and the reality is that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet despite that, Christ enters in, he takes on our judgment, and he absorbs the wrath of God so that you and I can have eternal life. Now imagine for a moment, imagine you're a kid. I mean, some of you are kids, so it's pretty easy, right? But imagine you're a kid. Imagine for a moment that you were in trouble. Whatever it is in your family that got you in trouble. In my family, it was disrespect. It was not working hard. Whatever it is, imagine you were in trouble. And in that moment, you're thinking, oh, no, I'm about to get it. Mom and dad come, and you just know, like, they've got this litany of things that you've done wrong, and they're about to execute judgment upon you. And, and so you're ready and kind of bracing as they're talking. And in that moment, your brother steps in and says, uh, Mom, Dad, that was actually me. I'm the one that did it. How did you feel in that moment? Amazed, wouldn't you? Like, really? You're going to step in for me? I know what I did. That, that's just crazy to us, isn't it? Now imagine something crazier. Imagine, just kind of rewind the tape. Imagine you've done all of these terrible things. Your parents are coming to you to bring the judgment that you deserve, the consequence you deserve. And in that moment, your dad says, hold on for a second. Like, that's the worst thing as a kid, isn't it? Like, when your parents say, hold on, you're like, just, I know it's coming, so just make it happen. You know, I don't want to wait. Hold on for a second. Dad goes and gets your older brother and says, come, come, come. Here's what's going to happen. And together, they devise a plan that your older brother will take their consequence. Church, that's the very thing that Jesus Christ does for you and I. That when we trust in Jesus, God the Father and Jesus Christ together devise the plan that Jesus would take the wrath of God for us. In fact, Paul shows us that in chapter 5. So keep your finger in chapter 12, but turn to the left a few pages to chapter 5, verse 8. I've, I've referenced this a few different times, but I want us to zero in here. Look at verse 5. 
Paul says in the middle of our sin, he says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, not when we cleaned ourselves up, not when we figured it out, not when we got our life together, when we had nothing to offer, when all we could give is our filth, our guilt, our shame, and that's all we have. And we offer it to Jesus. Paul says that while we're sinners, Christ died. And didn't just die, look at verse 9. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood. God looks at us. He looks at Christ. He says, you're forgiven. It's gone. It's wiped clean. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Church, that's the glorious gospel. You and I deserve God's wrath. And Christ steps in and says, no, I will take it. I will take it upon myself to the point that in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul simply records, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You might have your list, I might have my list, but Jesus, the Father looks at Jesus and says, no condemnation, hey, done. So much so, Paul can rejoice at the end of chapter 8. Look at the end of chapter 8, verse 31. He's trying to help us to understand the magnitude of this grace, this love of God. Look at, look at what he says, verse 31, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who's at the right hand of God? Who's interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written for your sake? We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Church, listen, verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, that is the blessing that we celebrate today. It is that blessing why we gather. It's that blessing that Paul is now saying, if you've been overflowed with that, lavish it upon others. And friend, if you're not a follower of Christ in here today, it is that blessing that's offered to you. All you need to do is just bring your guilt, bring your shame, Bring your sin, bring anything else disgusting that you can think of, and just bring it to Jesus. And he takes it away. 
and he gives life. He gives forgiveness. He gives grace. It's out of that amazing blessing that Paul then says there should be three ways that this blessing should change us and flow through us. So let's look briefly at these three ways. The first way, or really our second point, is God's blessing must lead to our humble reflection. That we need to realize that apart from the grace of God, I've got nothing to offer, and so I need to get out of the way. None of this is about me. It's not about me trying to vie for approval. It's not me playing a PR game to show how great and awesome I am, but rather if I reflect honestly on my life and the grace of God for my life, it propels me to minister in like crazy ways. Because notice what he says in verse 14 of chapter 12. Verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Church, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, uh, Matthew 10, verses 16 to 25, that if we follow Christ, they're going to hate us. We're going to be maligned. We're going to be arrested. People are going to speak ill of us. And it should not shock us because that's the way they treated Christ. In fact, Peter follows it up in 1 Peter chapter 4, that if we follow Christ and withdraw from the passions of the world, people will speak evil of us because we don't partake in what they're doing. This is just the reality of our lives. And it's so tempting in that moment when we're persecuted to just repay with persecution. Like, if I were to write that, it would not say, bless those who persecute you. It would say, whoop those who persecute you. Complain about those who persecute you. Badmouth those who persecute you. And God, I didn't, I didn't write this because the Lord says through Paul is for us to bless. Because when I complain, when I want someone to get it, I make myself the center of it all. I so cling to my justice that I become the judge and I become the jury. And in that moment, I neglect the reality of the grace of God that he's given to me. The fact that he could have judged me, condemned me, and thrown away the key for all of eternity again gives me. Paul says out of that we should bless others. This isn't us going around speaking ill of other people. This is actually us refraining from speaking ill of others. And that's hard, isn't it, church? That's hard because if we just take the community that this church is in, like let's just be honest, there's a lot of bad talk about people in this community. Heard it, I've probably partaken in it. There's a lot of evil talk. But just imagine what Paul is saying in that moment 
that we actually as a church are a blessing, that we speak blessings to people rather than cursing. Because he says that. He says, bless. Don't curse. Let's lead us into verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Now this is incredibly difficult, isn't it? Because this means I have to rejoice when my friend gets the promotion and I don't. When they get the house that I want, when they get the raise that I thought I deserved, when, when their kids actually obey and mine don't. And Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. But then also weep with those who weep. It's a little bit easier though, isn't it? Just have compassion on others. To be sorrowful and have concern when they're struggling. Church, we've got a community full of people who weep regularly. And just look at the news. Somebody, the last two weeks, like three or four major uh, criminal offenses. There are people who are weeping. How much more should we be that kind of church to weep with them? And that should push us to verse 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. This is where we don't see one another as competition. But rather we see one another and we seek peace with one another. We seek commonality with one another. We seek to serve one another. How do we do that? Paul actually tells us. Look at what he says. He says, don't be haughty. The way you do this is don't be haughty. Don't act like you've got it all together and everybody else doesn't. Don't act like you're smarter, better at life, when no one else can figure it out. So rather, associate with the world. Church, this only happens when we have a humble reflection of ourselves. When we see God in his glory and we see ourselves. Do you remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6? He, I mean, he's a prophet. I'm not a prophet. No books with my name on it. If anybody can walk around and say, look at me, I think it's Isaiah. And he enters into the presence of God and he is undone. And the only thing he can say is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I get the second half. Like, I dwell among those people. But I'm one of them. You see, when we see the grace and the glory of God, we begin to see ourselves as we actually are. And we begin to lower ourselves and to serve others. Is that true of you? Do you have a right perspective of who you are before God that leads you to serve? Next, Paul shows us our third point is that God's blessing must lead to our humble reliance. That we need to reflect on who we are before God, but it it also should lead us to realize that our dependence should be upon God, not upon ourselves. Because we need a power to endure in the midst of 
evil. We need a power to endure in the midst of difficulty when there is strife all around us. And as I already noted, it seems like every time we turn around, there's strife around us. And so we need to engage. But how? Look at what Paul tells us in verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil. It is so ingrained in us for justice, isn't it? You just turn on your TV every night, there's a cop show. You love justice. But Paul says, don't go there. Instead, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Instead, we are to be a people who honor. Well, how do you honor? You lift them up. You encourage them. You don't repay people what they deserve, but you repay people with the grace that you can give them. You repay people with gracious words. That's incredibly key because notice what Paul goes in verse 18. He says, if possible. Church, got to be clear. It's not always possible. What Paul's about to say is not always possible. I know this to be true. You can try all you want. You can try to reconcile whatever ways you can. You can love, you can pray, you can bless, you can do whatever you want, but it's not always possible. Our role is not to ensure the reconciliation. Our role is to ensure the trying of reconciliation. Sometimes people just don't want to reconcile. Because notice what he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, I can't control anybody else. I can control me. As long as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. What is he saying? Put down your petty grievances. Put away your disagreements. Put down your pride. Stop making you the main thing. And instead, keep the main thing, Jesus Christ, the main thing. You get that? No matter who is up here, no matter who is unpacking God's word, no matter who is counseling you, the main thing is always Jesus. And if it's not, push that aside. If it's your own thoughts, push that aside. The main thing is Jesus. Make Jesus the main thing. Make his glory in his honor. And if that's the case, I'm going to close my mouth and not speak evil of others. Not retaliate. I'm going to be careful. And I'm going to rest in what Paul says next in verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Man, that, like, that's hard. Your blood gets boiling. Your mind works. You've got ten ways. But you're going to take this person out. Ten ways that you're going to ruin their life so you can feel better. He says, don't do that. Because we've got greater hope. Look at the hope. Don't avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Because as it's written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 30, 
2.35, he says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Says the Lord. Think about what Paul's doing. He's saying, God sees your trial. He sees the persecution. And instead of being people like the rest of society that gets on social media and badmouths or argues, just rest. Trust. Because I you might have some power, but think about the kind of wrath that you bring. And think about the kind of wrath that God. That should actually lead me to pray for my enemy because if I know the wrath of God is coming, they are blind to the freight train of eternity that's going to mow them over. And instead of rejoicing in that, I should actually be praying for them. So Paul says, just humbly rely and trust yourself to the Lord. That way injustice happens, bring that to the Lord first and foremost. You don't need to respond. You don't need to go tell everybody your side of the story. No, we need to just take a break and look to the Lord instead. The author of Ecclesiastes reminds us of something similar. He says in chapter 7, verse 9, that the, uh, the anger lodges in the hearts of a fool. And so we should not become quick to become angry. Church, instead of allowing our blood to boil, we should just take a step back. In fact, Proverbs tells us something similar in chapter 10, verse 19. It says that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. You might want to speak your part, but the more you talk, the more likely you are the same. So in that moment, we just need to pull back and bring it to the Lord and realize that the Lord will execute justice. Look around. 50, 60, 70 people. Imagine we committed together to be that kind of community. Imagine if it started here. How much different Sunbury would be if we together committed to closing our mouth and praying. That leads us to our last part, which I think is the hardest, and that is God's blessing must lead us to humble replacement. Not just reflect on our life, not just rely upon the Lord, but actually replace what you want to do with something that is incredibly costly. Because look at what he says. He, it's kind of the culmination of it all. And, and the only way we can do this is if we go back to the well of the gospel and remember the way Jesus treated me. Remember, chapter 5, verse 8. When I was a sinner, Christ died. Oh. It's the only power to be able to uh, believe and trust and live out what Paul says in verse 20. He says, to the contrary, instead of getting angry, instead of lashing out, 
To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If my enemy is hungry, if my enemy is thirsty, I know what I want to give them, but it's not food and it's not water. Like, like, think about that on the perspective here, on the spectrum. Like, this is what your enemy does. And Jesus says, don't do that. That would be hard enough, wouldn't it? He doesn't stop there. Because he doesn't just say, don't do anything. He says, look at them. Look at their needs. Look at their, look at their life. And then serve them. What? And not just serve them at cost to you. Like, where's this food coming from? Who's paying for that? Who's paying for the water? You're telling me? Like, they treated me that way? Like, I've got to not just be nice or ignore them, but I've got to now pay out of my pocket to help them. That seems incredibly crazy. And yet the only way that that can be done is if, again, we remember what Jesus did for us. He didn't pay out of his own pockets. He didn't open up his wallet and throw a five down on the table and say, "Sin, or, your sin is forgiven. He actually stands before the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and he says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. Jesus purposefully lays his life down for you. And when we get that, we have the power and the ability to love our enemies. To the point that Paul says, if we do this, we're going to keep burning coals on their head. There's a lot of debate what that means. Sufficient for us this morning is this, that if our enemy has a conscience, to be honest, sometimes if their conscience is so seared that they don't get it, but if they have a conscience, they will see our good works and they will be ashamed. They might not. They might be so far gone that they might not be ashamed. But it's out of our hands. Because what Paul wants for us to be true is verse 21. He wants us to not be overcome by evil, but rather to overcome evil with good. He's saying, don't just take out the bad, the evil. Actually put good in its place. Church, there's no amount of proving your points, no amount of longing for justice, no amount of anger that you have, no amount of hurt that you can muster up and lash out at people that is worth being overcome by evil. None of it. And so Paul says instead, remove that evil and put the grace of God in your life so that you can do good to others. I believe that that's what we've been trying to do for 10 years, isn't it? Trying to engage the community. 
to love people. Some of you have served on boards, neighborhood boards, or sports boards. Some of you have served our fire companies or have served your neighbors, have cleaned up the city, have engaged the waiter or waitress at the local restaurant with the hope of being different, the hope of pointing back to Jesus. Some of you are in this room because others have done that. Church, this message is a message that we need to hear. It's the message that we've been trying to live out for 10 years. And I hope it's a message that carries us in to the uncertain, crazy future that we live called 2022. It's the message that hopefully propels us that we as a church might be a gospel presence in this community. That through our ups and downs, through divisions, through pain, through pressure, that we would trust in the justice of Jesus Christ, that we would hope in Jesus, not in our ability to repent, not in our ability to execute justice, because we realize that the one who has the ability to execute justice did not pay me what I deserve, but paid me with what I didn't, and that's eternal life. Church, is that the kind of blessing that you want? As you think about your daily life, are you this kind of blessing that you've understood the blessing of Christ and are now seeking to extend that blessing to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to the person that hates you? Are you extending that kind of blessing because you understand the treasure trove of blessing that you have been given? Or are you like the man who understands the treasure trove, or, or rather has received the treasure trove of grace, but find it very difficult to part with just a couple of pennies? May we not be misers grace of God, as he lavished upon us his blessing, may we lavish upon others in the community around us the blessing and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again this morning. We thank you for the reality that you love us and to uh, change us and you make us new and and yet we come before you and realize that we have a desire for revenge so often we have a desire for our glory rather than yours we have a desire for comfort and self-preservation rather than laying down sacrificially to serve others and so father would you make us this kind of church that would sacrificially give ourselves to one another and to our community, rejoicing in the grace that we've been given. Father, we pray in your son's precious name. Amen.